that it stands on its own. Lord, we thank you for uh, David here when he's he's writing the song, calling out to you, knowing that you will answer his prayer and that you will hear him. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be so vulnerable with you and with one another, that we would be able to shout out to you in our distress and, and cling to one another as believers in Christ, that we, we would know that you are steadfast and faithful. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's, there's really three aspects of Psalm 4 I want to pull out this morning as we kind of go through this passage. Um, the first is, what does Psalm 4 say about humanity, about mankind, about humankind? Um, what does it say about God and Jesus? And how should we respond in all of this in light of those things? Um, just a little side note, if you're looking for a, a good way to study Scripture, that's a, it's a good principle or guide or rubric that you can use. Is looking for what each passage says about God, man, Christ, and how we should respond to those things. Um, but as we go through this passage, those are the things that I really want to point out this morning. Um, when I was a kid, my, my parents um, allowed me to watch really two channels. Uh, one was uh, Boomerang, and uh, which, which had a lot of the older cartoons when I was a kid, so they probably still have older cartoons, but they're not the same. But we would, you know, Bugs Bunny and, you know, uh, Yogi Bear and all these the other was TV Land, uh, which had a lot of the old classics as well. You know, Andy Griffith Show, Lone Ranger, Bonanza, um, Dick Van Dyke, all these kind of old shows. Um, my parents felt that these two channels really were safe for me to watch as a kid. That being said, one of my favorite shows as a child was The Lone Ranger. I don't know if any of you are familiar with The Lone Ranger, uh, but it's about a... It's an old western. It's black and white. It's about a a man who was in a group or a a group of rangers, Texas Rangers, and they all got ambushed except for him. And uh, he was restored back to health by his by an Indian, and he became his companion. They would go through and do all kinds of things. They, they, there seems seemed to never be a situation that they couldn't get out of. Um, anyways, all that being said, just to kind of lead you to this point. Uh, my mom and I were walking through a toy store one day, and I saw two figurines, two G.I. Joe-sized dolls of the Lone Ranger and Tonto, who was his Indian friend. And I, I just had to have them right then. Uh, but we weren't there for me. It was like Christmas time or something like that. And my mom was like, if you want them, you're going to have to you're gonna have to pay for them. You're going to have to buy them. Uh, like a good mom or a mom should. I mean, at times, I think there's probably... That's not what the sermon's about, so we're not going to get into that. Um, that being said, so I just, I wanted them. I had to have them. So I went, but when we got home, I opened my piggy bank, counted the money I had, and I was about $10, $15 short, and so I, I went to work. You know, I got that money, and three, four weeks later, if we went back to that toy store and I bought them, I got the both of the Lone Ranger and Tonto, and I was pumped. I was like, man, these things are going to make my life complete. There's nothing better than this. Um, I couldn't even wait to get home to take them out of the package. Now, hindsight's 2020. I shouldn't have taken them out of the package. But I took them out of the package, and we, I just started playing with them. I got home. We were, I was playing. And about 15, 20 minutes later, I was over it. 
just these things are just like everything else I've got. They, they just aren't satisfying me like I was hoping they would. And I really think that's the point that Dave is driving at here is there's things in all of our lives that we keep looking to to satisfy that soul like to satisfy our soul like Tonto and the Lone Ranger. Maybe not for you, but you could probably pick something. Um, that being said, the first thing is we're looking at this is we're going to look at what is this passage saying about mankind as human beings. We are always looking for the easy way to satisfy our souls. We're always looking for the easy way to satisfy our souls. Um, the little bit I know about water, I worked for Surf Pro here for a few years. Water likes to find the path of least resistance. Right? So if you have a small crack in your pipe, the water is not just going to flow past it. Like, that's not where we're supposed to go. We're not supposed to go through that crack. Obviously, we wait for the faucet to turn on. That's just not what happens. The water flows through that crack because now that's where it's supposed to go. So our soul does that same thing. When we're looking for things to satisfy our soul, we just go towards a little crack. This will do it, and what happens is it causes damage and mayhem, and it's a nightmare. Right? I don't know if you've all, any of you have had a water loss or anything like this, but it's, it's a headache. Um, our soul just it, it, it pulls towards these things. It pulls towards the cracks in our pipe, if you would. Um, if we look at verse 2, David writes here, Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David here is addressing all mankind. He's not addressing a particular group of people. He's not addressing Israel or Gentiles. He's not addressing Christians or unchristians. He's just saying, oh man, how long are you going to be seeking these vain things that will not satisfy? How long are you going to let this continue? See, we, we all love these things. We all have things in our life that we hold too dearly, that we put as little Little idols in our heart. I don't know if Tony's ever mentioned this quote, but there's a quote by um, a theologian named John, John Calvin. And it is, our hearts are little idol factories. They just make little things into big things, like, like this building, for example, which I know is going to be really touchy. And I don't mean, to, I'm just pointing it out as an example. This building can be, as Christians, an idol that we can... We can come here, we sit in the same spots. I mean, I sit in the same spot every week, so I'm not just discounting myself, but we sit in the same spots and we do the same things in the building week in and week out. Our bank accounts can be the same way, where we have retirement funds or even the church has a big enough bank account that we feel like that we can relax. We can have peace because, well, if nothing changes, at least we can go another five years. You know, we, we can we can have things in our heart that, that we think we can find peace in, that we can be comfortable with, and we can lift them up to God, we can lift them up as a God in our life and make sure that that thing is what provides us comfort rather than going to God who should be our comfort. We all have these things in our life, whether it be our marriage, our kids, our grandkids, all these things that we look to say, well, you know, man, I'm glad Maddie's saved because now I'm a good parent. Well, is that how that equals out? You know, 
if your kid is saved, does that make you a good parent? Or is God the one who makes you who you are? Is he the one who your identity should be in? David's question here, how long, is meant to hit all of our hearts. How long, non-Christian, are you going to keep rejecting Christ? Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is your hundredth time here. But you still haven't let that sink in, the grace of God sink in. How long are you going to do that for? He says that to the Christian. How long are you going to not trust me with the things that you have? Well, yet you continue to go to those things, or I continue to go to those things, to satisfy. And they just leave us empty. They continue to not do what we want them to do. So how long? How long are we going to do that for? Let's look at verse 4. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Now, this, this term anger here also uh, kind of has this, in the Hebrew, original language, in other versions, if some of you are reading it, has this uh, idea of tremble behind it. So it's this, it's this angst built up inside of you, this discomfort, this, this frustration maybe, that, that man, this, this isn't working. I don't know if any of you have been in this situation, but for me, usually it comes in seasons and goes. I'll have nights where it's just like, I can't sleep. I, I just can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning. And Satan likes to use the evening times when all your distractions are away. And all you have left is your thoughts. He's saying, do you really believe this? Do you really think that your faith is going to get you through? And I, I mean that as Satan would. Um, do you really think that you're good enough to get you through it? If you're not Christian, do you, do you think that... What, do you think there's nothing after this? Do you, do you think that your job or your, your securities will get you through to the other side? I, I don't know if it's, it might just be me, that the nighttime seems to be that time when these thoughts come in. I'm not going to wake my wife up and say, this is what's going on. <laughs> she wouldn't appreciate that very much. Um, but this is the time when our soul stirs, at least mine. And we see this progression here in Psalm 4. We see this progression coming from, you want these things to satisfy you. How long will you pursue these lies? In verse 2. Now in 4, you're starting, in verse 4, you're seeing that these verse, this, these things aren't really what I was hoping for. It's making you uncomfortable. It's getting you tied up inside. You, you're noticing these things and maybe you're just hoping you can fall asleep and ignore it and wake up and Get going with your day. You pop a couple sleep pills and you try and go to sleep, maybe. I'm not trying to say anything against sleep pills. Some people need them, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying that a lot of times the anxiety in our life is created because we don't have a peace that can only come from God. Psalm 4 here gets to the heart of man, I think. We want things. We want our satisfaction to be here now. And it's not. And it's frustrating. We want these things now. And so what we end up doing is in verse 6, we end up blaming God. Verse 6 says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. 
How many times do we blame God for the situations we're in? For that angst that we feel in our soul. That idea that this isn't working. My wheat crop is destroyed. I don't know. Whatever you've got going for you. You know, I was laid off last week. I was, my retirement funds have lost 10%. You know, whatever's kind of going on. And it's, you start to get frustrated and you blame the Lord. Like most of us would do. The funny thing is here is that it's, you know, most likely David's writing out of Israel saying this. Well, what do we know about Israel? Israel, what did God do? He brought them out of Egypt, saved them from slavery, and brought them to a land and said, this is yours. Have it. I'm going to give you houses you didn't have to build, vineyards you didn't have to plant, and businesses that are already operating. So just go ahead and walk in and take it. It's yours. And yet these people have the audacity to say, show us some good, God. How much more good do you need? How much more do you need than, hey, you've got what you need. Let's look at Adam and Eve, for example. Adam and Eve were given a garden, a flourishing garden, with healthy foods, good for your stomach and your soul, or whatever you want to say, just good food for you. God is dwelling there. They've decided that this is, this is subpar. Uh, we were approached with this snake and he seemed to have a pretty good proposition for us. He said that we could be like God. What do you need to be like God for? You've got everything you need in life. You've got everything you need in life to prosper and flourish. And yet you've decided that you know better than God. And we do this every day. God says, don't have 14 donuts. And yet, what do we do? Maybe, what do I do? You know, we, we, God says these things. He says, don't do this. And we push the envelope. Maybe we get right up to the line, put our toes over, look over it. You know, maybe dangle the hand over the line. You know, we just, we love to play the line game. We love to act like we're religious and righteous, but yet, we're still looking for that soul satisfaction. Why do we do this? How long are we going to do this? The answer to that question is, is forever until the Lord Jesus comes back. That's just what human nature is post the garden, after the garden. We want something easy. When we, when we start to see our foolishness and those things that we hold on to so dear fall apart, we have fear creep in. And we start to blame God and others around us for, for not having that peace in our soul. We start to ask ourselves questions. What on earth am I doing? Do I believe this? Is this what I want? Is this where I'm going? You know, we all have this, these problems. Why? So what are the answers? How, what can a big God do? This big God that we say as Christians, that we believe in, what's he, what's he going to do for us? What's he going to do with us? What's he going to do in us? 
And that's where I want to go into the next section. I want us, I want to look, I want us to look at what this section says about who God and who Christ is in Psalm 4. So what does Psalm 4 tell us about this big God that we believe in? It tells us that God is our righteousness, our joy, and our peace as he sets us aside by faith. Um, Let's look at verse 1 together. Chapter 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. One thing I want you to notice here is, is David is not coming to God on, on behalf of his own righteousness. He's not saying, hey God, uh, it's David here. You know the good one, the one that you chose and picked to be king over all this. Uh, can you listen to me? No, he's, he's coming to God. He's saying, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's coming on to God on behalf of God's own righteousness. That's kind of crazy. How do you get God's righteousness? That seems to be a big deal. David here is acknowledging that you need some form of righteousness to even come to God. And so now, where is this coming from? Do we understand that? As we approach God, that we need to be righteous before God, even to enter the throne room? Do we see that? David does. And yet, it's not his own righteousness that he clings to. It's God's. Somehow, God gives this righteousness to David. And therefore, he's able to come to God and say, you've, you've, I've come to you in the past. You've always given me relief in my distress. Please be gracious to me again and hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. So the question is, is, do we understand that we need this righteousness to access God? This access in relationship to God gives us the joy and peace that our hearts long for. In verse 7 and 8 it says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This access to God, this this ability to come to God's throne, somehow gives joy and peace to David. That's even better than wine. Now, I don't drink wine. I'm not trying to promote it or anything, but people say it's pretty good. It somehow it provides some form of happiness Grain in the culture would be a form of currency. And so you're saying that when, when the, when you have enough currency, when it's abounding and you're, this false joy comes about of, of wine and you have enough of it, it's still, so God is better than those things? God is better than money? God is better than a false sense of hope or joy? This access to God gives us what our hearts and souls long for. And that's what David is clearly trying to say here. He says, church, you, you need to see God for what he is. You need to draw your life from him. You need to draw your righteousness from God. But how do you do this? How do we do this? Is David going to tell us how this is done? 
Or are we just supposed to hope that God gives us his righteousness? I think he does very clearly in verse 3. It says, but you know, or but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, the first time when I was reading through this, uh, I was pretty scared because I'm not godly. I wouldn't say that I'm any special kind of godly. Um, but what I would say is as I was looking at this in different translations in the English and then looking at it a little bit in a, in a Hebrew tool, I start to see that, that the Bible sees godly different than we see godly. Uh, the Bible sees godly as faithful. The word faithful and godly are synonyms and are interchangeable within the translations. And I think in our Western society, I'm just going to say Western because that's what I'm familiar with. We, we've put this sense of godliness as a form of piety or a form of look at these things that I'm doing. Look at these good works. I'm, I'm living in a way that people seem to think that I have it all together. Um, the sense that like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Look how good I am. You know, and that's not the case here. The Bible sees godly and faithful. And literally the, the word of, the meaning of the word faithful is full of faith, right? Sometimes we get those things backwards in our culture. We see godly as being something it's, it's not meant to be. If we look at Abraham, his, his faith made him righteous before God. And that's what David's saying is here is God is setting apart those who have faith in God for himself. Right, the, the CSB uses that word instead of godly, uses faithful. You know, it says, but know that the Lord has set the faithful for himself. Faith gives you that access to God. That's what, that's what David's saying is here. That's what David is saying here is that when you have your faith in God, in Yahweh as the one true God, you have access. You have this, this access to the throne. To the highest throne in the land. And not only do you have access to it, but it's not as a peasant. You know, it's as an heir to the throne. Uh, Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this, if you don't believe me. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also obtain glorified, be glorified with him. So when we have faith in Christ, when we have faith in God and in, in who he says he is, we are given this, this righteousness that grants us access to God, which fills our heart, our souls with joy and peace. I think, though, as Christians, we forget this a lot. I think, even as Christians, we forget this. That we have access to the highest throne in the land. And that when we pass from this life to the next, we're going to a beautiful kingdom that is not like this world at all. We don't need to vote for our next president because God will be ruling and reigning forever. Thank you for that, because presidential elections are a nightmare. Um, 
it's important that we remember that God is who he says he is. God brought these people, and I know Pastor Tony is going through Exodus on Wednesday nights. He's, he's brought these people out of Israel. He didn't tell these people when he was bringing them out of Israel, now if you do these ten things, I'll rescue you. He didn't give them the law before he rescued them, right? He didn't, he didn't give them the Ten Commandments and say, once you've accomplished this, like, I'll, I'll get you out. He saved Israel and brought them to himself and then said, this is how you live with me. This is how you're supposed to live in light of who I am and what I just did for you. And again and again, Israel just can't meet the standards. They can't. Do it right. They can't obey these laws. And in Deuteronomy, time and time again, God keeps saying, don't worry, you're going to mess up. Just come back to me. Just come back to me. We need to have faith to see that we can come back to God. Because he is our righteousness. Our righteousness merits us nothing. It gets us nowhere. Maybe we can be righteous for five minutes. Maybe. Um, I think my record might be three. It's up in the air. My wife might have a shorter time. She would know better. Um, but you, you can't do it. You can't find joy and peace in this life. It's just not going to be here without God. You can't do this life without, you can't have access to God without His righteousness. Therefore, you're not going to have a true joy and a true peace that is eternal. Even if you have some sense of joy and peace, it's going to end when your faith is not in Christ. You're going to stand before God and it's all going to go away. This faith is a gift from God. In Ephesians um, chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, If you find yourself... Oh, no, that's my notes and not scripture. I'm sorry. Let me flip there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, in which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. God saves us and then prepares for us a way to walk. He brings us out by faith, which is given to us as a gift. Well, you might ask, how do I get this faith? I don't really have faith. I want faith. I want to grow in my faith. What am I supposed to do about this? Well, in uh, Luke eleven nine through 12, it says this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if his son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then who, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Just ask him. Just ask God for that faith to believe. That's your only hope, is that you come down to God and you ask. You need to ask. 
Which brings me to my final point. What are we supposed to do with all this information? What are we, how are we supposed to respond in the light of the fact that, that we are suffering and we stink? We keep looking for other gods and other things to satisfy our soul, and they're just not there. But we have access to God and to that satisfaction through faith, which gives us the joy and the, and the peace. What are we supposed to do about this? Well, I think he's very clear in verse, in verse 5. Psalm 4, verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There's two things about sacrifices that I think are pretty important to know. Uh, one is it's commanded in the Old Testament law, which David is writing. It's commanded to give sacrifices. When you sin, you sacrifice. Um, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. So the second thing of that is when you're making a sacrifice, you're automatically admitting that you've sinned. You're coming to God saying, yeah, I screwed up again. I need you. Please make this right. Please restore the relationship between you and I. But the thing is, is now we're post Jesus. We're at, now Jesus has come and he's died and he's been that sacrifice for us. So that first thing is gone. We don't need to continue to offer sacrifices, but we need to accept Christ as our sacrifice in our place to restore that relationship with God for an eternal existence. Right? So the first piece of that is done with offering of offering right sacrifices. The second piece of that is admitting that you've sinned, admitting that you need a savior, admitting that you need a sacrifice. Right? So, when we come to God and we offer right sacrifices, we'll bring it into our time. We come to Jesus saying, I need you as my right sacrifice. Because I don't have anything to offer God. I, can't, I don't have anything to stand before God other than your atoning sacrifice. So the, in the second part of this verse is put your trust in the Lord. So trust that what God says is what he means. Right when when Jesus said on the cross it's finished, he meant it. Trust it, believe in it, hold fast to it. Right, you can continuously, by faith, have access to God. All the, for the rest of your days. There's no need to continue sacrificing lambs and sheep and pigeon and goats. It's already been done. Christ knows, God knows you are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are all a mess. And he's taking care of it. And he sets those apart by faith. Those who have faith, he sets apart. So I ask you today, if you're a Christian or not, put your faith in Jesus. Don't you want to grow in your faith? How, and don't you want to start this faith walk? And you start that by asking, by coming to the Lord, by kneeling down before God in your heart or physically, saying, I need you. Please help. Right? So, 
let's pray, and I think we're, I know we're going to do communion, which is that broken body and blood. It's that representation of that sacrifice that God did. As, as we do that together, let's remember that God is our righteousness. And the only reason why we can take communion and, and be excited about that is because it's done. It's finished. We can trust that us taking that communion cup is us saying, I trust this, not the actual cup and, and, and bread, but I trust that this work is all I, I need. I trust you, Lord.